1: The Telegraph. the Telegraph podcasts. Hi, this is Fashion Unzipped, the Telegraph's bi-weekly fashion podcast, where I bring you all the latest fashion news and sit down with some of the biggest names shaking up the industry right now. I'm Charlie gowans eglinton senior fashion editor at the Telegraph. This week, Elizabeth von der Goltz, Net-a-Porter's global buying director, joined me in the studio. Just in case you don't know, a buyer is the person who decides which pieces from the catwalks and from little-known brands all across the world make it into the shops. We talked about the business of buying, the rise of e-commerce, obviously Nata is a big part of that, how she spots trends before anybody else, and what we're all going to be wearing this spring-summer. But since buying jobs don't come any bigger... My is such a huge e-commerce beast selling to so many different countries across the world. I started
0: by asking Elizabeth how she got this job. So I started, and it's funny because I think when I was when I was in school I studied art history mm-hmm. and I didn't really think of fashion as you don't really think about fashion being a job. Like you think of it as you love reading magazines, you go to stores, you shop, but you don't think like who put the, you know, who chose. Like you don't really think about these as sort of they're not traditional occupations. And I've always loved fashion, always followed it as a personal thing. I'm very sort of – I'm very uh, visual for me. Like everything, I'm very visual. I can memorize things almost visually when it comes to like clothing and art and certain things. So um, when I finished school, I thought I would go into art. And I actually started like an internship at Christie's and sort of found that I love art but don't want to deal in it because it felt – it just didn't feel right. And then I thought fashion would be perfect because fashion is – a blend of commerce and creativity and sort of that you have that artistic part of it, but you know it's a product that you have to sell. So you don't feel like you're just, you don't even feel bad selling it. The whole point is making sure that you're selling it. So I think that's sort of how the idea came about. And then one of my really, really close friends from boarding school, so I grew up in Hong Kong, actually. So I grew up in Hong Kong. And one of my really close friends from um, boarding school, his sister at the time, was like, she ran Joyce. And Joyce in Hong Kong, this is in, you know, this is in like in the 90s. But Joyce was really the store in Hong Kong. She's the most, Joyce Ma is probably, you know, she's an icon. I mean, she has probably the best p- taste of anyone I've met in the world. Um, she's incredible. And, you know, she really brought every major designer to Hong Kong. So whether it was Dries or even Armani, I mean, anyone who was big, she brought to Hong Kong. And her stores were really kind of the epitome of taste and fashion and, and, and like, luxury. And so my friend's sister ran the store, so I went to go see her and said, if I want to work in fashion, I want to do what you do, what do I have to do? So she said I needed to move to New York. <laughs> so I moved to New York, and I just sort of, like, pounded the pavement looking for jobs. And, I, I, you know, I think there's always a path in life that somehow you know it's meant to be because my favorite store in New York at the time was Barney's. It was really, like, the Mecca for me, and it was very—these are the days of, like— you know, the Belgians, the Japanese, it was like your and Meesters, your, you know, your Yojis. It was just like that kind of an, – and Barneys really kind of like represented that to me. It was like the coolest store in the world and they had just built that new store in Madison um, Avenue. And so I was very lucky because I happened – my first job happened to be the assistant buyer in the private label area for Barneys. So I worked for the designer who actually now has his own collection, um, Ronald Vanderkamp. I was the assistant buyer, and I did what we did. What I did was really helped him um, help him with the line. So he designed the line. So I would order the fabrics. I would do all the like big spreadsheets to figure out like how much you know. When, and it's great because you really learn how to make a garment because you knew exactly how many meters you needed for a jacket, and then you kind of knew if it was made of wool or you know all the imports and duties. So it was really you know. I feel like not everyone gets that kind of training when it comes to like the full process and everything that goes into like the production of, of a garment to, like, the selling point. So um, that's where I started, which was great. And I was there for – I sort of rose to be buyer in about three and a half years. And then after that, I got called by Henry Bendel's, which is another store in New York, to be their designer buyer. And that was, you know, we were the first store to ever buy Rick Owens. We used to buy it from his apartment in L.A. I mean, it was, it was fun. It was just, like, a, a very creative, fun – job. And then I wasn't there very long because six months after the team, like the president from Barneys had moved to Bergdorf's to kind of renew and refresh and renovate the entire store. And he had hired a few people that then obviously came and said, Elizabeth, we really want you to come over to Bergdorf's. And this is Bergdorf Goodman in New York and you know, be our designer buyer here. So um, I did. So I was there as a designer buyer for about a year. And then, then I took a, sh- a sabbatical. <laughs> um, it's what, such did, a, what
1: did you do yeah, to your sabbatical?
0: Yeah, I think at that point I knew I wanted to be in fashion, but I wanted mm-hmm. to make sure I was choosing the right path in fashion. And I think in New York at the time, and this is, I mean, I'm sure everyone, I mean, fashion in the 80s and 90s was kind of a cruel environment. I mean, egos, uh, I mean, people made people cry every single day. It was just like a sort of environment um, that was very different than what you see today. And I think part of me was like, do I want to be this person? Do I want to become a person who is this, like, egomaniac, like, egomaniacal terror? And I was like, part of me said, I don't know. I'm not really sure. (laughs) How old were you at this point? I was 27. Mm -hmm. Was it 27? I think I was 27. So I decided maybe let me try other things in fashion. So I took a little break. I worked on different things. So I was in L.A. for a while. I did costume design for an independent film that actually went to Sundance. And that was like a fun project because I was like, let me, let me see if I want to do go into costume design or work on a television set or whatever. So that was part of it. And then part of the time, um, I did a lot of travel. So I kind of traveled all over the world, Mexico, Vietnam, Cambodia. I did a lot of like really interesting trips. And then I ended up living in L.A. for a year Um, I did different things. I consulted. I um, worked in a showroom to see if I wanted to be on the selling side of fashion. And then basically at the end of that year, my old company had kept calling. Like they kept checking on me every kind of three months. And I was like, no, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. And then by the end of that year, and I had an amazing time in L.A., but L.A. just works on a completely different pace. And I really missed New York. I missed the fashion. I missed the crazy schedule, the market, the traveling. Going to, I missed all of it and realized I wanted to go back. So then went back, and I basically stayed at Bergdorf Goodman for 15 years, kind of rising to be the head merchant there. Um, and then net a came a calling at, you know, and it really was, it made it just, you know, things that you, you know, people come to you all the time with different opportunities, but a lot of them you don't feel or doesn't, they don't make sense. And this was sort of just from a fashion, like fashion point of view, it was like the perfect kind of, um. Like, that's the fashion that I like to represent. And I really had that same point of view, which I loved. I love the fact that it was global. I mean, we shipped to over 170 countries. We have offices all around the world. And, you know, it's digital. So it was also like an evolution of what I was doing in brick and mortar for so long. We had a website as well before, but this is a whole other level. And it just sort of was this natural progression. And, and moved to London with my husband. And now it's been over a year and a half ago. You've adjusted well? Yeah, yeah. I think it's fine. I mean, we travel so much, I feel like I want to be here more, but I absolutely love it. I think I drive my team crazy because I think everything in London is charming and cute (laughs) because it is compared to New York. And I feel like in London, you're in the middle of everything. Like, you feel like you're really central. Like, you can hop over to anywhere in Europe pretty quickly. New York's close enough. Like, it just feels more central. So when did you realize that e-commerce was going to be such a huge thing in fashion? When did I realize? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think, I think when Net-A-Porter, it's interesting, like in, in the world of fashion, when Net-A-Porter started, it was like the one, the one company that you always like kind of kept your eye on. You're like, look look what they're doing. This is super interesting. Like looking at the editorial content, looking at what they were doing. I thought this is like, you knew that this was going to be something. And they really like, really were kind of, um, they really spearheaded the entire movement, being able to you know, at the time, like, what luxury brand thought they were going to sell online? Like, nobody thought. I mean, this was just the beginning of buying your toothpaste online. You know, it wasn't even – it wasn't the Amazon is today. It was just kind of the beginning of e-commerce just in general. And I think it was brilliant um, of Natalie Massaney to have this idea and convince all these brands to kind of uh, join net a And I think, you know, the company I was with at the time – but for a long time, the Nima Marcus Group, which Rudolf Goodman is part of, in the states, they were the first to sort of launch also luxury e-commerce. So they were the they were the kind of they've had it uh, almost the same amount of time actually, and uh, are the biggest in the states. And I think you just knew this was how people were going to start shopping, you know. And I think and you know when you started to deliver your buy your groceries online to be delivered at home, all of this, like you know, eventually you realize that everyone's going to buy everything online.
1: You you mentioned 170 countries that you ship to. How do you buy for all those different countries?
0: So we have a global buy because of all our messaging, because we want to make sure, like, our marketing, our campaigns, everything kind of hits from all the regions. But what we do... So we've got three warehouses today. One is based in Europe, like, in the UK. One is in, you know, the US. And then one is in Hong Kong. So they all do... They all ship to the entire regions. Um, You... I would say the differences are, like... APAC, which are the Asian regions, definitely have a slightly different, obviously, size fit, things like that, certain tastes, certain colors, certain price brackets. So there are things that you can kind of definitely define. The American client also um, is different from the international client, the Middle Eastern client. So, you know, we have a lot of analysis and research and and things like that, and we kind of all pull it together, Um, but we still do a global buy. So you have to make sure that kind of sort of fits one size fits all almost sometimes.
1: What does the British consumer like, do you think? What do we buy in particular? <laughs> <Lots of everything.
0: laughs> I would say the British, I mean, what I love about the British consumer is they're very, really, like, very um, exper- like, very adventurous, experimental, and really open to buying newness. And it's not like you have to have a brand that's got amaz- a name that is like a power brand that everybody knows. It's like, I think the, 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 British consumer is like really happy to try something new. And I think that um, the first embrace, like every time we've brought on new brands, whether they're, they're contemporary like Ghani or you're bringing in like, you know, Gabriella Hearst from the States, things like that. But you really see that. And you just have this a great mix of High and low, and really people who understand how to dress. It's not just about a head to toe look; is there really mixing and styling, which is kind of what net a is about. It's about like how do you wear this trend? How do you wear it? How do I, how do I take things apart? And how if if the trend of the season is, you know, animal print? Like someone who's maybe intimidated by that, how do you wear that? And I think like we always show different looks, how you style it, how you can wear it in a way that you feel comfortable. And I feel like somehow it is very much how I think. Um, the British dress as well. So, do you work
1: with like trend forecasters and people like that, or do you go to the shows and you just watch and you start to think, okay, that seems to be a shape that's showing up a lot? And they opened with this look, and that could be important. How do you how do you predict
0: uh, yeah. what women
1: are going to want to buy? In you know,
0: it, it becomes
1: after so many years it it's almost
0: like instinctual. <laughs> but it is it is we don't work with trend forecasters. It is. Um, it is seeing what's in the collection, seeing what's on the runways. And it becomes very – and it's interesting. It becomes very apparent what the key – like, very much within, like, the first week of – the first few shows, you're like, oh, I see this trend emerging. And then you kind of watch it through the weeks and through the markets and more and more trends emerge. But you'll see that, like, season to season, like, it's quite – like, there are, like, six trends or there are, like, the five trends. Um, and then, you know, what you do is – and those are all the bigger – collections and within that you kind of build into it too because with a lot of the sort of smaller collections or contemporary collections you want to make sure they're hitting the trends but also you can communicate that and you kind of you see what you and you kind of can see what you think will move into the next season and you have to also know when something's going to be over too so it's uh it's not a hundred, it's not a science but I feel like you kind of after so many you kind of had that instinct for a while of how to how to spot trends and, and how to go after them and when you kind of need to move on.
1: Because watching the shows as a journalist, we kind of as a team, we're almost playing bingo with some trends and you know, our head of fashion Lisa will email me and be like, Lilac, Lilac yeah. at Trees again <laughs> you're kind of playing with each other because you start to yeah, spot yeah, absolutely. you know, something growing. But we're not investing in it. And that's a huge difference because if you're choosing to put, you know, a huge amount of money into buying a trend, have you ever made a mistake? Have you ever bought into something and then
0: Well, I think you see the trends. So we speak mm-hmm. about the trends, and there's some trends that you know are not gonna be commercially viable. So like you'll dabble in a trend just to make sure like you're showing the excitement and the fabulousness and emotional parts right. normally, but you kind of know which trends are going to be big from like a financial commercial standpoint and you just have to you have to balance that because you want to make sure you're not not representing something because you do have diehard fashion fans who want like you know the crazy looks and everything from, like, you know, the the number one looks from every runway, which may not be as, you know, saleable. But you have to make sure you kind of balance that. And I think it, it, you always do take chances because on the things that you really believe in, like, you need to buy, especially because we have such a global customer and we have the three warehouses. I mean, when we buy, we buy with depth, like, we buy with serious conviction. And that is where you're taking a bit of a risk sometimes.
1: And how does it work in terms of – are you sat in a show with a notebook writing down – I love this, or is it all afterwards when you go to the appointments and you see those pieces on a rail? Is that when you pick? Or yeah,
0: it's after. So but after the shows, you go into the showrooms and you go through every single piece of clothing. And usually, like, uh, you also want to go through their books because you want to know what other colors are available, what other fabrics are available. Because a lot of times you don't want to buy just what's on the rail because you want to make sure your buy is differentiated from everybody else's and slightly different. And you may ask for like little tweaks and changes or something exclusive and exclusive print. So you kind of do work through everything. There's usually models in the showroom, so you can see everything on. And a lot also is – a lot has to be with, like, when you touch and feel, does the fabric work? Does it fit right? Does it lay on the body right? Because those are all the things that customers really care about. So you do need to see it in the showroom, like, in real life and understand what the price is. Does that seem like there's a price-value relationship? Like, all of that. And that all takes place in the, in, in the showrooms after.
1: So what are the big things for, for spring
0: summer then? Spring summer, I know. As I said I'm like already I'm like doing something. That's much like ball, so far in the past you, I was like, right? Oh my god, the spring, <laughs> I don't even remember the spring. No, spring springs it's gonna be it's a really great spring, I have to say. I'm like super excited about spring. And I always say this time of year when it starts to get warm and sunny out, everyone gets really excited. I think um, I think, you know, we were kind of obsessed with kind of the, the, you know, how Loewe, so we call it like the team bag because last summer Loewe came out with a raffia bag with a leather pocket and the leather strap and like literally my entire team has it. And there's kind of like the new versions of this summer, which I think are super fabulous. There's one that's kind of more of a a kind of soft bucket shape that's kind of a woven raffia from them and there's a one that's similar that has like all these crystals on it. Like this sort of like summer an elevated summer bag that you can wear in the city. So like the beaded ones from Kalk Gaia, but kind of that idea I think is a big So it's a still really kind nice of raffia trend. and Yeah, kind wood. of natural but almost but more elevated so with the leather with leather details, things that can go literally into work and into the city, not just the beach. Um what we call the Naked Sandal, which really started last um in the summer last summer with the row what we call their bear sandal which literally like my my entire team also has (laughs) so I think we've, we've got our bag and we've got our shoe what else is on the list there's a lot of like in terms of fabrications are there natural fabrications so you're very kind of like your your cottons and your linens and kind of like that in all your natural beige to rust to nature tones and that's that was like one trend which I think we love it's like all shades 50 shades of beige is what we've called it and then all, then on the other side where it's kind of more um, saturated with these beautiful satins and leathers like leather now is not just a coat or well, jacket leather dress today yeah this is a Anushka vegan leather dress ah but we're saying like leather vegan leather all that like this is like it's full it's, it's no longer just a jacket it's your shirt it's your dress like you can wear leather or you know in vegan leather which we love for everything in all. And I think with the lightness and the texture and the kind of what they've done with the fabrication is you can wear it like it's fat, like a regular fabric. Um, and then in much richer colors, like, you know, rich, like uh, rich yellows and in the satins, like sapphire blues, the li- like deep, deep, li- like deep, deep lilac, great kind of your sorbet colors. And then, and that sort of like leads into the more, you know, Paco Rabanne, which we loved from Spring. Again, that was more of the like. That's kind of where your maximalist has gone. So it's a little bit more romantic, but it's a lot of print, a lot of color. Um, you know, this was it was very sort of Sari or Moroccan vibe that show. So sort of, you can cover lots of different women, I think, with the Spring trends.
1: I think Net-a-Porter is somewhere that a lot of people discover brands for the first time as well. And you you launch a lot of
0: brands really on that global scale. Who are the next big names? Yes. Well, you know, we actually started this program called The Vanguard, mm-hmm. which I'm super excited about. It's something we've always done because you always are finding new brands and you're mentoring them. Because a lot of brands, they're so, you know, they're young. They, they don't know how to ship internationally or what, you know. So we really kind of formalized this program where we choose four designers a season. So I can't, we're in the middle of choosing the ones for the new season. But for spring, Peter Doe, who I absolutely love and has done so well since we launched it, he... um was a designer under Phoebe Philo and, and, and on, on her team. And well, we're all
1: still hunting yeah. for the old <laughs> Celine. Yeah.
0: yeah. And, you know, he's a young designer who decided to go high, you know, which I <laughs> love, like beautiful construction, beautiful fabrics, beautiful tailoring, really saying, you know what, I, you know, and you see this in his work. You see um, the attention to detail and really this, it's, it's, it's luxury, but it's modern and it's cool. And then Commission, which is another brand, three designers just... They're super cool, these guys from New York. Again, this is sort of like, um, I would say, cool women's everyday workwear staples, but with a twist, like a really cool print, a really cool detail somewhere. Um, That's one of them. And um, Ratio Motus, which is a handbag collection, which, you know, we saw kind of more of a besides that kind of soft beachy thing happening kind of a more structured bag come back for spring and this is really like a a, a frame bag super clean and what it has is some of them have like an additional pouch that's like on the front of it which you can take off as like a little clutch if you want to but it's kind of a cool little pocket that is attached that's one of the other brands and um you know we've also done a lot with um direct to consumer brands so this is sort of I don't know if you've been talking about this, but they're kind of all these like cult, cons- like direct-to-consumer brands, um, and we're you know we're we're working with quite a few of them now. Last mm-hmm. year we brought Orson and Iris onto the site. This very soon we're bringing Doen onto the site, which I always say Doin was kind of like the the summer dress hit of last year and we reached out to them and said, hey, can we be your, you know, exclusive wholesale partner? And um, they were like, sure. So, you know, we we're launching and with them. And do you
1: find a lot of brands on Instagram and social media? Yeah.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's really, I have to say, like before you to like always be in the showroom and go to like a million showrooms and like have your ears and eyes out. Now, literally, like the teams will go deep on Instagram because you do find a lot. And we found Peter Doe on Instagram. We found um, last year Vanguard. We had a, a jewelry designer called um, Anne Ma from Berlin that we found through Instagram Um, we really do find a lot and of course these directors you see what's sort of trending like all of a sudden in the summer you'll see like everyone's wearing this this brand you know and you start to go down and be like who is this and who is this and um, actually Instagram's great for that and influencers as well so we have this whole network we called The Net Set. It's about 144 influencers. It's part of our kind of net a family. And, you know, they're also great ways of finding brands, and some of them are designers themselves. So, you know, that's how we found Attico. Um, I think we followed the girls, who were so cool, had amazing style. Then they started their line. We're like, oh, my God, you started a line. So we were there, like, we were there from the beginning. Um, again, Rotate, which is from Thora and Jeanette from um, Copenhagen. Um, we picked that up right away as well and launched them. Um, so, yeah, you find a lot through Instagram.
1: It sounds like it's very methodical. And that's the kind of hidden side of buying, that you have to be really good at maths, yeah. really good at spreadsheets. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. When well, you see, if you saw my desk, it's like not what you think. My desk is literally covered in spreadsheets.
1: Are you um. as methodical when you buy for yourself?
0: Yeah, you I guess shop? I am. I guess I am. <laughs> like I'm very... Um, I actually I love shopping, obviously, so this is a perfect mm-hmm. job for me. It's almost like if I didn't do this, I'd probably be broke. So it's like a way of channeling all those energies. Um, I always think about things i this is my tips for people too. like when you love something, like if you're gonna buy it and purchase it, what are you wearing it with? So like i I almost for me, I picture everything almost in looks so so I am quite methodical, so if I'm really obsessed with something, I have to come up with the entire outfit and then I'm like, okay, I can buy it because I have the entire outfit and I know or I know five different things I can wear it with versus sometimes you're obsessive for one thing, but if you buy it and you realize you have nothing to wear with it and you don't know how to wear it, it's going to sit sad by itself and lonely in your closet and that's, like, I too sad. So I think, like, that is sort of how I shop. So it's about completing outfits. So you don't really impulse buy? I definitely impulse buy, but I feel <laughs> like, you know, I have to say with um, with e-commerce and with the internet, it makes that easier because... When you visual when you see something, you can put it into like so on the net a app. You can put something straight into um, uh, into your wish list if you're if you're thinking about it and you really want to. So I always say this, this is my tip: if you're obsessed with something, first put it in your wish list, and if you keep thinking about it more than like three times, and then just buy it, and then work. But then you have to work, make sure you work around it, so you you you're able to wear that piece. I think when you used to buy things physically in a store, you were I think you're probably more impulsive. You're like, oh, my God, this is really cute. I'm going to buy it. And it literally would sit in your home sometimes with, like, tags in it for a long time.
1: Do you often find that you'll be sitting at a show and you'll think, I want that, and you definitely – you actually buy that piece? Or by the time it comes into store, have you – falling in love with something else?
0: It's both. There are things that I obsess with literally from the day it's on the runway and, like, I have to have to wear. Like, there are things you never forget. Like, I do. And it's funny because you'll take... Usually, like, that I'll take a picture of and just, like, store it somewhere because you know that you're going to want it at some point. And then some things are... Some things, like, you think, like, oh, I think I want that. But, like, you, you kind of want to wait till, like, everything comes in that's sort of similar to make sure you're getting the, the right one. So it kind of goes both ways. But there are things you spot the minute you see them and you know you want them.
1: And do you buy anything on the high street? Do you have any kind of cheap and cheerful purchases in your wardrobe? Because, I mean, net a has has more contemporary price points, but it's a luxury site, right? Right? Right?
0: Do you ever just nip into Zara or? I mean, I think I definitely, um, I definitely go to Uniqlo, like Mm -hmm. just like I for really like, like first of all, all heat tech. Like I have heat tech in every color, every neckline, every sleeve length, because you kind of it's like you're kind of fashion warrior, like you need it under everything when it's cold. Especially
1: New Yorkers, I think, got (laughs) dressing for the cold (laughs) down. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, I mean, and then things like your basics, like if it's just like a great basic color jean, you know, like a colored jean or a v-neck or cashmere sweaters, things like that, like definitely more basic things. Um, Otherwise, it's really more the things I buy randomly are more like when I travel. Mm-hmm. Like so, I like to find things when I travel that are kind of just local, or it doesn't matter if they're inexpensive or whatever. It's just something that I I feel that is from that place and made in that place and kind of kind of reflects the culture and reflects the the location.
1: What's the last thing you bought?
0: <laughs> okay, I think I just ordered. Actually, I have a bunch of stuff under my desk. (laughs) The way everything comes in the office is like literally there's a time of day where like we have an auditorium and everyone's orders come in and they like literally the entire auditorium is filled with bags. Um, So I have a few things sitting. I'm starting to think about summer Mm -hmm. um, because I'm going to be going to the States in April. I'm going to be in Miami. So I started to think about that. So it's sort of I think the last thing I bought was a um, Zimmerman lilac jumpsuit. (laughs) and I think I bought some bathing suits as well
1: I like that you're thinking ahead
0: (laughs) I know I think you come off of fashion month and you're so dressed and you're so like have to look perfect all the time that like now I'm in my fantasy mode and what about autumn winter because
1: now that we are finished those shows and you're completing your buy at the moment aren't you yes for
0: autumn winter so what are we going to be wearing everyone's me either in like Super chic suits, like amazing super chic suits or cozy, cozy. Like one of my favorite things was this kind of this like this coziness that started in New York, like these wrap blankets, these cape coats, like sleeping bag, like literally duvet coats. Like Margella had this amazing like, like um, organza covered duvet almost as a coat, um, kind of. A lot of that softness and coziness. Um, a lot of leather. Again, seeing a lot of head-to-toe leather dressing, which we absolutely loved. And I think the colors, um, chocolate browns, and a lot—like, charcoal gray started to come back in a big way. Like, Dries started his entire show with all those charcoal gray suiting looks, which I thought were super chic. Um and then on the lighter side, there was this sort of sheer there was a lot of layering this kind of organza layering that but you wore it in kind of an untraditional way like at Dries, he put the the sheer tool in these beautiful colors over a suit um, kind of like that playfulness I thought was really nice uh,
1: are tiny bags really going to be a thing because we talked about the jacques bag <laughs> <Like the Jacquemus. laughs> we I mean two inches
0: yeah I mean that bag is crazy that, that bag is an Instagram it's an Instagram it bag. is I mean when but we you, first you saw it in the showroom, like, we just all started laughing. And we're not allowed to take pictures in the showroom, but I took a picture in the showroom because I had to. So
1: they are selling it.
0: Um, they are selling it. They are selling it. But it's like the giant bag. We weren't
1: sure. Yes, exactly. Remember the giant and the bag?
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. He loves to play with scale. And I mean, yeah. people go crazy for it on social media. And it's made his brand so much bigger and so much more visible globally. So, I mean, it's very savvy, really. Yeah, I mean, I think you but can stick
0: one coin in it.
1: Have you bought any really tiny bags? Yeah,
0: I mean that's like not that size <laughs> is just like that size is like a really fun thing. Obviously, people are going to wear it and buy it. But in terms of that size, not that size. We love a small bag though. But enough. We always, the test is the iPhone. Okay, so you the, think we, you the have to the test iPhone is the iPhone? In. You have to get your iPhone in.
1: Hello, Fashion Unzip listeners. I'm Tona Stell, the Telegraph Style Editor, and I want to tell you about a brilliant offer we're running for podcast listeners. You can get a 30-day subscription to The Telegraph online completely free at telegraph.co.uk forward slash fashionunzipped sub. And after that, it's just £1 a week, so you could even fit the funds in this season's tiny handbag. You'll find all the latest fashion news, style tips and social commentary, perfect for those long afternoons while you're all caught up on Fashion Unzipped. So visit telegraph.co.uk forward slash fashionunzipped sub. Because we've been arguing about this in the office, and actually Annabelle, our beauty director, um, says she's got a Chanel two five five that d- is smaller than her iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> and when she wears it, people kind of coo as if she's got like a tiny yeah, jacket yeah. or something, Sometimes. and ask. They're so cute. <laughs> um, but it's Waldy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it's. <laughs> I mean, it's
0: a statement. Obviously, whoever has that, someone else is carrying our stuff. Mm. You know, it's like someone else has your keys, someone else has your things, or like...
1: you've got the second bag.
0: Yeah. Oh, you have the second bag. Why well, I always oh, the, bag the bag on the bag on the bag, <laughs> which you saw, like, I, I mean, at, um, at Fendi, you know how they did, like, the baguette that was under the, like, I call it the cage baguette yeah. that had the little, ba- like, the little kind of backs, bags attached to it. Um, or
1: pockets on everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then you're just adding bulk to yourself <laughs> yeah. so that you can carry this tiny, tiny bag. <laughs> and how do you feel about becoming an ambassador for Net-A-Porter? Because there's such a blurring of the lines now. There used to be kind of influencers and they were one thing and then you would have the people who were buying or writing or making those decisions now I mean you have your picture taken when you go to fashion shows and you're put (laughs) alongside the kind of street style set who are maybe there just to see the show and be photographed um so whether you like it or not you're kind of given this
0: influencer status do you mind um well, it's funny. It's something that I'm becoming more comfortable with. It, okay. It's, it's taking time. Like, I've, I've always, you know, I love fashion, so I love dressing. So that's not, you know, I, and that's something I've always liked. So I don't, you know, if someone likes what I'm wearing, that's great. But I think I'm always, you know, I've always been the business person. I'm always a person kind of like, this is like, I'm behind the business. I'm like growing the business. Um, when it comes, like, and you're right today, like, I have this funny thing because photographers will send me pictures and they're always like, half of mine are so goofy because I'm not... Like, those girls, the influencers, they're so, they're so amazing. They're so professional. They have the perfect—every single time you take a picture of them, they have the perfect look on their face, the, the perfect angle, like, everything. They're showing whatever they're supposed to be showing, like, whether it's the bag or the shoe or whatever it is. And I always laugh because there's so many of me where I'm just, like, laughing or, like, bending over. Like, I always am kind of awkward, and I have to kind of get over that. But it's 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 fun at the same time. Um, and I have a lot of—you know, and and— and I see how it influences me when I see how other people dress. And I like looking at these images. And I do think that there's something in seeing also clothes on a real person, you know, someone who has a career, a full time, you know, job life who isn't just, you know, um, wearing clothes because that's the job to wear clothes. And I think there is a nice blend in that in kind of bringing some bringing uh, bringing that to an audience.
1: You talked about, you know, the the negativity in fashion that made you go on sabbatical. How different is
0: the industry now? I mean, it's so different. And I'm, you know, I think it also comes from the people. Like, it's your environment that you create. And the, the best thing, when you lead a team, it's like you have to lead with example. And I think today, um, especially in our company, it's just like, it's really inclusive. Every, we're just all working as a team. It's not about one ego, another ego. It's not about, you know, I think that in fashion, like you say, like you can get so much attention. And like, obviously, egos, like, you can really quickly become quite, egotistic or have this, you know, and I think it's important for me to be in an environment where you don't have that. And I think everyone should work together as a team and kind of be open and friendly and happy. And I say it's fashion. Like, I'm I'm not, um, I'm not saving the world. You know, I'm not curing cancer. I'm not a brain surgeon. Like, that is when it's like it can get, like, heavy and, you know, I think work in fashion. If you're not having fun and you're not passionate about it, like you really should be doing something else, you know. And I think it's not about, it should be fun and it should be, even though there's a lot of Um, Pressure to grow the business, as I said, and it's a lot of it's kind of this, you know, doing the financial plans and doing this at the same time. It's like you're touching and feeling product that like brings you joy. And I think in that, like that's the environment you should have because you're also trying to sell this to your customer. You want, you're selling them something to make them happy. You know, and I think that's important for that to be what the industry is about.
1: What if, um, you all turn up wearing the same thing to the office. Because
0: that must that happen happens. All the time. <laughs> that happens, I have to say. You know, the longer you spend with people, too, like, all of a sudden you just show up. Like, literally this Fashion Week, um, our market editor was traveling with me the whole time. Um, and, like, we would show up and be in the exact same colors. Like, and not in, like, really specific colors. Like, these aren't colors that, like, normal people wear. Like, you know, a very specific shade of a dusty rose that we paired back exactly to the same burgundy color. Like, you're like, and you're like, what happened? But, um, yes, we all show up. And at work, it doesn't matter. At work, it's funny because no one even sees you. But okay. we always joke. And if we do show up with, in the same outfit in public, we always do the, you know, who wore it better? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so
1: much for joining me.
0: Thank you for having me. It's been so fun. What are you
1: going to do with the rest of your day?
0: I have two business calls I have to take, but I'm not going to head back to the office. So I'm going to take them from the car. And then, you know, my... Um, in-laws are in town so we have uh, and they're leaving tomorrow so we have dinner tonight with them is there any British food that grosses you out I mean I probably haven't tried all the weird British foods yet but I mean I don't think I mean I it's funny either. there's an obsession with sausage uh, What sausage rolls here that's quite yeah. like, like every so we live there's a butcher near where we live and every single person I talk to like it could be oh, the is driver it the ginger pig yes mm-hmm. and the sausage roll from the ginger pig it it's is like, yeah <laughs>
1: That's all we've got time for this week. Make sure you're subscribed to Fashion Unzipped. And I'll be back in two weeks' time with an episode looking at the intersection between politics and fashion. And just in case you're wondering what the intersection is, can I suggest you Google Nancy Pelosi's coat? If you want to get in touch or there's a topic that you'd like us to cover on the podcast, email me at unzipped at telegraph.key.uk. Or you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Charlie Gowans. You can also find me in person at Stella Live on the 10th and 11th of May when the whole of Stella Magazine will be relocating to the Saatchi Gallery for two days packed with talks, events, goodie bags, fizz, a lot of chatting, probably. You can buy tickets now at stellalive.co.uk. Thanks for listening.